Everyone has questions. Why am I here? Where will I go when I die? Is there really truth? But not everyone has biblical answers. Welcome to The Pastor Study, a ministry of pastorstudy.org. Join us now as we study the Bible to draw closer to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Here is Pastor Tom Brock. Welcome to The Pastor's Study. Last week we did the Lord's Prayer Part 1. Today we finish with Part 2. If you missed last week, in a nutshell, here's what you missed. Our, all the plurals of the Lord's Prayer, forgive us our trespasses, give us our daily bread. All, all the plurals mean that every Christian is to be part of the church. If you don't go to a good church, find one. Father, the word Father means God wants a personal relationship with each of us who art in heaven. That means God is transcendent. He's separate from his creation. God is not the rocks, the trees, and the mountains. Our Father art in heaven. Hallowed be thy name. Don't say, oh my God. Hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. There's a present tense to that request. May your kingdom presently come through the missionaries. And may your kingdom future come at the end of time when Christ returns to end the world. Now let's keep going phrase by phrase through the Lord's Prayer. Let's pray. God, as we go through this most prayed prayer in the most prayed prayer in the history of the world, God, as we go through this, speak to us, Lord, about how to pray. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Next words, thy will be done. There are two kinds of God's will. There is his perfect will, and there is his permissive will. When you pray the Lord's Prayer, you're, you're wanting his perfect will. For instance, <clears throat> the Bible teaches if you're a Christian, you marry a Christian. That's God's perfect will. His permissive will is, okay, if you want to disobey me on that, you can, but you get what you get. I'm thinking of a Christian woman years ago, maybe thinking, I'll convert him after he's married, married an unbeliever. He never converted, and she has had a bumpy marriage ever since. When you pray, thy will be done, you're asking, God, help me do your perfect will. Not, I don't want what, what you'll permit. I want your perfect will. When I pray, thy will be done, in my mind is, Lord, please put an end to pornography and abortion and gay marriage and, and now legalized marijuana. You know, just, just you're praying for God's perfect will. Next words. Give us this day our daily bread. That means, the word daily means, we're supposed to trust God day by day. Um, notice Jesus doesn't teach us to pray, give us our bread for the next three months. <laughs> he says, give us today our daily bread. When I was thinking of this, let's say that I won the lottery and I have $10 million all of a sudden. What would I do with that? Would I leave the frozen tundra of Minnesota and buy some oceanfront villa in Florida and fritter the rest of my life away? <laughs> I hope I wouldn't do that, but I might. So it's probably best if I don't win the lottery and I just trust God for my daily bread. 
Here is a prayer that I force myself to pray periodically. This is hard to pray. It comes from Proverbs chapter 30. Listen to this prayer. Lord, give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is my portion, lest I be full and deny you and say, Who is the Lord? Or lest I be in want and steal and profane the name of my God. I encourage you to open your Bible to Proverbs chapter 30, verse 8, and force yourself to pray that prayer. In that prayer, you're asking not to be made rich. <laughs> also, the word daily is a plea for a simple life. I have uh, a Christian friend, he and his wife are committed Christians, love the Lord, very wealthy people. I think they have two or maybe three or four BMWs. And I'm just thinking, is that necessary? <laughs> I just got back from preaching for four weeks down in Florida. So I'm flying from Minneapolis to Florida to preach for a month. I'm sitting next to a young couple. We start to talk. The young woman says something that makes it clear to me that she has no time for the church at all. And her boyfriend, her husband says to me, what do you do for a living? And I said, I'm a pastor. And he said, oh, I would want you to be my pastor. You fly second class. <laughs> you know what I think he was referring to? These TV preachers who are on their third or fourth jet? <laughs> no, no. Um, I want to ask you to beware of what's called the prosperity gospel. This is all over the United States, all over TV preachers too. And prosperity health and wealth preachers teach that the reason Jesus came to earth was to make you healthy and wealthy. No, it isn't. The reason Jesus came to earth was to die on the cross to save us from hell. That's why he came to earth. Beware of the prosperity gospel. It's not the gospel. I prefer this. Many years ago, there was a wealthy man in England by the name of Robert Arlington. He was a very wealthy man, but he lived in a small, simple cottage. People knew he was rich, and they're wondering, what does he do with all of his money? When he died, perhaps some were wondering, will we find gold buried under the floorboards? They go into his home. They didn't find anything except a letter. Dear Dr. Arlington, we have heard you are ill. We are praying for you. But we want you to know how grateful we are that year after year, you have sent us of your wealth so that we can preach the gospel in the Belgian Congo. Signed, your missionaries. Can I encourage you to do something? Christians, let's live simple lives and send buckets to missionaries. Give us this day our daily bread. Next words. And forgive us our trespasses. Next lesson. There is complete forgiveness in Christ. I love the verse, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 7. In Christ we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses. And that's complete forgiveness. My friend told me of his elderly Catholic mother, and he said 
She committed some sin when she was 21. And for over 50 years, she goes into the priest every week and confesses that same sin over and over and over. I think that's heartbreaking. I don't know what that priest is saying. I know what I would say. Confess it once, forget about it, and move on. I heard a great sermon when I was a young Christian, and the preacher said this. Every time you sin, immediately do three things. Number one, immediately confess it. The word confess means to agree with. So God, I confess, I agree with you, that was wrong. Number two, immediately put it under the blood. God, I believe Jesus died for this sin, so I'm forgiven. And then a number three, immediately forget about it. Number one, immediately confess your sin. Number two, immediately put it under the blood. And then number three, immediately forget about it. God's forgiven you, forgive yourself, and move on. There was a young man who was found frozen to death in a cabin in Canada. Clutched in his frozen dead hand was a letter. Dear mother, I've run out of food. I don't know if anyone is coming to rescue me and it is so cold. The one thing I keep wondering about mother is, will God forgive my sins? And that's how we died. I hope you don't die that way. <laughs> and if you're haunted by some horrible sin you committed, claim Ephesians chapter 1, verse 7, In Christ I have redemption through his blood. I'm forgiven. I forgive myself and I move on. I hope you die this way. President Andrew Jackson wrote these words. I have prepared a humble depository for my mortal body beside that wherein lies my beloved wife, where I have requested when God calls me to sleep with my fathers to be laid for both of us there to remain until the last trumpet sounds to call the dead to judgment when we, I hope, shall rise together, clothed with that heavenly body, promised to all who believe in our glorious Redeemer, who died for us, that we might live, and by whose atonement I hope for a blessed immortality. That's the way to die. Or American uh, millionaire J.P. Morgan many years ago in his will. I commit my soul into the hands of my Savior in full confidence that having redeemed it and washed it in his most precious blood, he will present it faultless before the throne of my heavenly Father. And William Shakespeare in his will. In the name of God, amen. I, William Shakespeare, in perfect health and memory, God be praised, do make this my last will and testament. First, I commend my soul into the hands of God, my creator, hoping and assuredly believing through the only merits of Jesus Christ, my Savior, to be made a partaker of life everlasting. I hope that's the way you die, trusting the atonement of Christ for your salvation. And forgive us our trespasses. Next words as we forgive those who trespass against us. That means a Christian has no option, you have to forgive. <clears throat> when I was preaching uh, a week ago in Florida, I have a friend named Carol that I've known since we were 12 years old. She's one of my closest friends. I love Carol. She drove out from Tampa to hear her old friend Tommy preach and, and I told, I told the whole, I had her stand. 
<laughs> in the congregation. I said, let me tell you what Carol said to me many, many years ago when I think maybe we were both teenagers. And she said, when she gets to the part in the Lord's Prayer, as we forgive those who trespass against us, she says, I always stop and I think, is there anyone I haven't forgiven? And then she'll do it right then in the Lord's Prayer before she moves on. I think that's a great practice. <laughs> Jesus said this in Matthew 6, If you do not forgive men for their transgressions, your heavenly Father will not forgive you your transgressions. So there's a story of a lady that gets bitten by a dog that has rabies. She gets hydrophobia. She starts writing frantically. Somebody says, are you writing your will? And she said, no, I'm writing a list of people to bite. <laughs> but in 1498, King Louis XII became king of France. All of his enemies fled Paris because they heard about a book that listed all of his enemies and the king put a black cross next to each of their name. They fled Paris only to discover the king pardoned them all. They came back to Paris. King, we heard about that book and the black cross. Uh, what happened? And the king said, I put that black cross next to each of your names to remind myself, as God has forgiven me through the cross of Christ, he expects me to forgive my enemies. <laughs> my question for you is, which of those two people are you? Do you have a list of people to bite? Or do you have a list of people that you have forgiven? Many years ago, we took a bunch of teenagers to Bible camp. And one night the evangelist preached on forgiving those who have sinned against you. Afterwards, a 13-year-old boy named Brian comes up to me, Tom, can we talk? And he was just shaken. And I said, okay. And we sat down and he says, I do not forgive that man. And I said, what happened? And he said, my mom and my brother and I were watching television. Her boyfriend busted down the front door of the house, put a rifle to my mother's head and killed her. And then turned to my brother and I and said, I'm coming back and you're next. And he's in Stillwater prison and he's going to be getting out. I do not forgive that man. Ooh. And what popped into my head was a parable. I said, Brian, have you ever heard this story Jesus told that a king forgave a man a million dollars and that same man turned around and wouldn't forgive his friend ten dollars. So the king put the man in prison. And I said, Brian, God has forgiven you all of your sins. He does ask you in your heart to forgive what this man did. Will you do that? And Brian said, no. And I think I said, I understand. I don't think I could either. But I said, Brian, do you know who the Holy Spirit is? When you were baptized, God the Holy Spirit came to live in your heart. He's the third person of God, and he gives us the strength to do things that we can't do. So I said, Brian, are you willing to ask the Holy Spirit to help you forgive this man and to set you free? And Brian, I remember, said, yes. And I remember leading him in, in, in the prayer, and he just kind of repeated after me, God, not in my strength and power, because I can't do this, 
but in the power of the Holy Spirit, I forgive this man. And I remember a few days later at the campfire, kids were getting up to give their testimonies. Brian, he didn't go into detail, but he stood up and told everybody, God set me free from something this week. We have to forgive people their sins against us. We can't do that on our own, but if there's somebody that you haven't forgiven, I encourage you in prayer to say, God, I can't do this, but in the power of the Holy Spirit, I forgive so-and-so. That doesn't mean you necessarily feel happy things about that person ever again, but you've done it in prayer before the Lord. Next words. And lead us not into temptation. And that's the question. Does God ever tempt us? Well, the Pope has been in the news. Maybe you've been reading this. The Pope wants to change the Lord's Prayer, and he wants to get rid of the words, lead us not into temptation, and replace them with the words, do not let us fall into temptation. So I looked it up. I got out the Greek New Testament. What does exactly the Lord's Prayer read? And the answer is, the literal translation is, lead us not into temptation. We should leave it alone. It's the way it reads. <laughs> but, but let's ask the question, does God ever tempt people? And here's the answer from James chapter 1. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each one is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desires. So God doesn't tempt us, but follow this. God does test us. You remember when God tells Abraham, take Isaac on top of the hill and kill your only son? And it says in, in, in Genesis chapter 22, God tested Abraham. So God doesn't tempt us, but he does test us. In fact, follow this. The same event can be a test from God and a temptation from Satan. Uh, I want to read a, a paragraph from Pastor John Piper. Every temptation is a test from God, and every test is a temptation from Satan. That is, God's testings are opportunities for growth and strength. It is our own flesh and Satan which take offense at the test and turn it into a temptation, that is, an allurement toward evil. For instance, let's say your five-year-old daughter is killed. That is a test from God. Will you still cling to me? Will you follow me through this horrible ordeal? And it's also a temptation from the devil. Well, if God's going to treat you and your daughter this way, why are you following God? So, so the same event can be a test from God and a temptation from the devil. Here's what Martin Luther said 500 years ago. Lead us not into temptation. What does this mean? God indeed tempts no one, but we pray in this prayer that God would guard and keep us so that the devil, the world, and our flesh may not deceive us nor seduce us into misbelief, despair, and other great shame and vice. And though we may be assailed by temptation, we still may finally overcome and obtain the victory. All right, last words. But deliver us from evil, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen.
last thing I want to talk about is deliver us from evil. There are two ways God deliver us, delivers from evil. He can either deliver us out of the evil or he can deliver us through the evil. I know a man named John. He had a drinking problem. He got on his knees and accepted Christ and boom, the addiction broke. I mean, for many years he's been sober and he told me he pretty much doesn't even get tempted anymore. God delivered him out of evil. But here's a second man named Bob. Bob comes to Christ as a terrible drinking problem and Bob starts going to his AA meeting every Friday and he has years, years of sobriety. But I remember him saying to me, Tom, I know though, if I don't go to my Friday night meeting every week, I'm gonna be in trouble. <laughs> so he still gets mightily tempted, but God is delivering him through the evil. If you go to our website, pastorstudy.org, I have there written my testimony of my struggle with same-sex attraction, that I've struggled with same-sex attraction most of my life. There are people who have that struggle and they do get to the point where it's not even really a big deal at all anymore and they get married and have kids. There are other people that struggle with that temptation till the day they die. When I was in the liberal ELCA Lutheran Church, I remember liberal bishops, liberal Lutheran pastors saying, well, the Bible doesn't really say it's wrong, and if you love each other, it's okay. And I'm thinking, where's that in the Bible? The Bible blanketly condemns all gay sex, so I've been celibate my whole life. But isn't it tragic? We have whole denominations that are trying to say that sin isn't sin anymore. You know, I don't watch soap operas, but last week I watched just a few minutes of Days of Our Lives. Talk about pro-gay propaganda with two men kissing each other in the soap opera, making it look so wonderful. It's not wonderful. Um, so I, I, I want to encourage you, read your Bible every day. As you know, Hollywood is selling homosexuality and transgenderism with a vengeance. So is the Democratic Party. I don't mean to get too political, but the Democratic Party has embraced wholeheartedly abortion, homosexuality, and what's most tragic is not when a political party or a Hollywood TV show pushes this. It's most tragic when the church is pushing it. Right before I came here to the TV studio today, an ELCA Lutheran bishop who's gay and has a husband wrote a, an article promoting gay pride. And now there are two practicing homosexual bishops in the denomination that I led my congregation out of, the ELCA Lutheran Church. It's evil when the society is pushing this. It's super evil when bishops and pastors wearing collars are saying gay is good, abortion rights are fine, etc., etc. We need to be delivered out of this evil. So let us put it all together. Our, every Christian is to be part of a church. Find a good Bible-believing church and go, Father means he wants an intimate relationship with you who art in heaven, he's separate from his creation, 
Hallowed be thy name. Don't say, oh my God. Thy kingdom come, present tense, through the missionaries, future tense, at the second coming of Christ. Thy will be done. You're wanting his perfect will on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, live a simple life, and forgive us our trespasses in Christ. We have the total forgiveness of our sins as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And he will do that either by taking you out of it or getting you through it. Amen. Welcome to the portion of the pastor study where we now ask Pastor Rock to share with us his knowledge of scripture and his insights to answer questions we have regarding the Bible, our Lord, and our everyday walk with him. Pastor Brock, I heard someone say that Jesus died for our sins, past, present, and future. Is that true? You know, it is true. When Christ died on the cross, he said, it is finished, meaning the atonement is finished. He paid for all sins past, present, and future. So Jackie, even the sins you and I have not committed yet, they have already been paid for and atoned for under the blood of Christ. Hallelujah. <laughs> yeah, but then we shouldn't be sinning again. Well, no, it's, you can't use that as an excuse, okay. but it's still true. All right. Yeah. Will God forgive me if I do the same sin over and over? And my response to that is, I sure hope so. Because hasn't every Christian had the experience where there's something you know is wrong, but you've done it more than once? And, and as long as there's true repentance, there's always forgiveness. Now, the sermon I just preached, I preached down in Florida, and a lady came up to me afterwards, and Pastor Brock, my daughter's a Christian, but she is now living with her lesbian partner. Did you say in your sermon that she's not going to heaven? And I said, if she repents, there's all kinds of hope. But if she's living in impenitent sin, then 1 Corinthians chapter 6 teaches she's not going to heaven until she repents. So yeah, you can sin oh, and, and repent and repent and be forgiven, but if you're living in impenitent sin, your soul's in trouble. Yeah. What if someone dies, though, without having time to ask for forgiveness for something? Is there any hope for that person? Well, yeah. Everybody will die without having had time to confess all their sins. Jackie, we don't know half of our sins. So my salvation does not depend on me having enough time to confess all my sins because that's impossible. My salvation depends on Christ on the cross. We're saved by God's grace alone, not by my good works. So yeah, everybody will not have time. The blood, when you pray the Lord's Prayer, forgive us our trespasses, that's a blanket prayer. Forgive all of them, past, present, future, ones I don't know about, ones I remember, ones I don't have time, so. Okay. Do we have to confess our sins to be forgiven? First John 1 John 1.9, if we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive. But don't overdo that. Like I say, all of us will have sins we didn't confess that are still under the blood of Christ. Okay, one more little bit to that. Okay. If you confess your sins, do you have to do it to a priest to be uh -huh. forgiven? or I, I, You don't have to, but there's sometimes when you can't bring yourself to believe you're forgiven, it's good to talk to another Christian about it. So, Jackie, that's the end of our show. show. Thanks, and everybody, see you next time at the Pastor Study. Thank you for watching the Pastor Study. You can watch more of our programs at pastorstudy.org. We are on the air preaching the gospel of Christ because of our generous support of you, our viewers. Would you consider supporting our ministry? You may do so at pastorstudy.org or write the Pastor Study, P.O. Box 41294, Minneapolis, Minnesota 55441. May the blessing of our one triune God, 
Father, Son, and Holy Spirit be with you today and always. If you've been blessed by the pastor's study, would you consider a tax-deductible gift to help us reach more people with the good news of Jesus Christ? You can donate at our website, pastorsstudy.org, two S's, or mail a check to the pastor's study, P.O. Box 41294, Minneapolis, Minnesota, 55441. May the Lord bless you and have a wonderful week.